Film Podcast. I'm Christoph. And I'm Robert. And today we're going to be leaping into Eric Romer. My Night at Mods, or in French, Ma Nuit Chez Mode. Mode. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's Eric Romer, for those who can't understand my French accent. <laughs> um, so this was directed uh, by Eric Romer in 1969. 69, yeah. yeah. And um, it was actually nominated for an Academy Award, uh, which is pretty interesting. Not surprised. From, uh, French new wave uh, artists like him. Um, was it a foreign? Yeah, I think it award? was a foreign uh, submission. Okay. Yeah, and um, you know Eric Romer, he was established as one of the um, later uh, new wave artists coming out of France. He he worked with um, Truffaut and um, uh, Godard on the uh, Cahiers du Cinéma, which was like the. Uh, you know where all the critics were talking um in post-war france so yeah and interestingly this film was funded by efforts made by francois truffaut because mm-hmm. he really liked the script and so he pushed for getting this film funded which is really cool um you know all those new wave artists were sort of pushing each other which is always good to see um i don't know was he friends with truffaut he must have been he must have been yeah for sure and there's a there's definitely a similarity to the films of Godard and Truffaut. Yes, for sure. In this film, even though it's more, I would say, grounded mm-hmm. than when you compare it to Godard's whimsical films yeah. or Truffaut's maybe sort of pensive mm-hmm. A little more contemplative, yeah. Yeah. This is a lot more subdued, I guess. It's... um. So I'm actually a big fan of Eric Romer. This is not my first from him. Is well, it this is my first. It is? Okay, good. I'm glad because I think this is a good introduction to his style. I really like this film. I think it's my favorite French New Wave director right really? now. Really? That's Even awesome. Even though I've only seen one of his exactly. films. Exactly. Good. That's awesome. He's my f- uh, favorite French New Wave uh, director. Um, and uh, yeah, oh, a synopsis for you guys so you understand uh, what the film is about, I guess. Yeah. You guys should already know this since you probably already watched it if you haven't you should um because you're listening to us <laughs> um so quick uh, brief synopsis um the film is about a rigid uh, devout catholic man that is challenged um when he is invited to a night uh a gathering at a uh, friend of a friend's a very he, small uh, gathering mm-hmm, that he encounters um just uh, in a bar at a party, and, um, you know, they hang out at her home, and things start to get rolling from there. It's a lot of conversation and dialogue. A lot of so. conversations. It's almost like you are given access to the late-night conversations of two... Bourgeois. Like, yeah, yeah, two very bourgeois characters. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many people have had these sort of late-night conversations before. But this film allows you to spy on the late night conversations of other people and it makes you really feel like you're in there. It's a very intimate sort of setting. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think because he likes uh, to play with the intimate settings a lot. Um, that's, I think, how he explores his characters in his films a lot. Um, actually, this film is part of a series uh, that Romer made uh, called The Six Moral Tales. Um, and we'll get a little more into that when we dive into the, uh, you know, nuts and bolts of this film and how it relates to uh, moral 
This uh, is the third one, I'm guessing. This is, yeah. Is it the third one? I can't remember. I, I think it's, the, yes, it's the third moral tale. Okay. There's six of them. So, Because um, on the Criterion cover, the, room, the Roman numeral three. Then there you the go. <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. So, yeah, off the top of my head, I believe it is three. Because the first two were earlier um, films than the uh, others. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, this is your spoiler warning because we're going to head into... Uh, the nuts and bolts. This, this film. Yeah. So, what do you think of the story? The story. It's weird to call what this film has a story. I think it is. I, but I it's it's really fascinating. Um, I could relate to some of the musings in this film. Being someone who was raised Catholic and who is separated from the church. That's why I really found the opening scene to be really yes, powerful definitely. in a sense because I haven't stepped in a church in about a year. Mm-hmm. And watching that scene was sort of a a return to yeah. the church for me. You don't see that kind of scene very often either. You don't. Yeah. And there was just something interesting about it. It's... I mean, like I said before, the film puts you in the middle of these conversations and you're sort of observing these characters... And they're revealing a lot about themselves through dialogue, sometimes in a straightforward manner, sometimes in a way that's more subtle when you read between the lines of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I'm not familiar with the philosophy of Blaise Pascal. I wish I was before I watched this, but I could still, I mean, everyone can sort of relate to thinking about the meaningless or the meaningfulness of life. It's a lot about um, reading between the lines, like you said. Yeah. I, li- I like that you said that. Because, um, I mean, even not being extremely familiar with Pascal's work, um, you can tell how it pits the characters against each other and how it allows them to sort of understand and uh, grow closer to one another, which is cool. Um, so after doing some reading, I guess this is uh, beneficial for everyone listening too. Um, I guess we can explain Pascal's wager a little more. So, for my findings, thank you, Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> the uh, wager is basically about humans using their lives as a uh, as a wager to bet if uh, whether or not God exists or not. Um, and I mean, makes sense in the context of the film. We have this Catholic man yep. that is uh, being challenged in, in his beliefs. Um, and I'm not going to bore you with all the uh, specifics. But uh, basically, he's asking uh, the reader to analyze how uh, humanity uh, relates in the greater scheme of things um, in terms of the choices they make. Um, Because uh, as Pascal saw it, um, we as people, we can understand the situations we create. um, And uh, but sometimes we can't understand the consequences that happen because of them. Um, which is interesting, and uh, I think it's actually extremely relevant to what uh, unfolds in the film. Yes, there's a Especially sort the of end. a twist at the end mm-hmm. that I did not see coming. Even though when I saw it, I was like, I, I didn't, should I have didn't seen expect this it either. Yeah, <laughs> and that was a very powerful moment. And I like the fact that the director did not spell it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it was immensely was more great. powerful that way. So, yeah, should we go ahead and spoil it for the audience? Yeah, no, I mean, this okay. is, we're allowed to talk about it. So, so uh, we should definitely give more context to everything that we're saying. 
Yeah. So, um, I let's guess break down the story. In the this story. Way. Well, okay. So, a man called Jean Louis mm-hmm. is roaming the streets of whichever French city this film Clermont, is set in. I believe. Okay. Clermont. And he runs into Vidal, a friend yes. he hasn't seen in about I think 14, high school? No, col- university. Yeah, it yes. was something like, oof, more than that, I think. 20 maybe years? 15, something like that. 14, yeah. 15, mm-hmm. I'd say. And Vidal invites him to the house of Maud. And Maud, for some reason, starts to like jean-louis mm-hmm. she invent well she's investigating him she's, she's investigating almost like him. testing him yeah yes he's maybe fascinated by him right and they have a conversation overnight and jean-louis sees her again but not so many times mm-hmm. and that f- that friendship doesn't last too long no it it, it originally was supposed to but yeah but things it change yeah and the morning after the night that Jean-Louis spends in Maud's house, he approaches a woman. That he sees at the beginning of the film yes, in the church. Yes, he saw at the beginning of the church. And he's fascinated with her. Mm-hmm. And her name is Francoise. And the film also allows you, or at least I was, somewhat fascinated and drawn exactly. to her. Exactly. She was a mystery uh, for us too. Yes. And Jean-Louis and Francoise get married yes. sometime in the future mm-hmm. we're not sure well actually does it say it might say they like do and they have a child <laughs> it's like five years later or something like that yeah, yeah a couple years later mm-hmm. and one day on the beach john louis and mode have another encounter mm-hmm. after their short-lived friendship and and that Jean-Louis? encounter, <laughs> yes, that encounter. <laughs> I don't know why that sounded like super drawn out, but it's like really not. Um, yeah. So Jean Louis discovers that Maud's yeah. ex-husband was cheating on her with Francoise. Francoise. Yes, and he should have known because five years ago, that night, when he had a conversation with Maud about her love life she mentioned that her husband mm-hmm. had a lover and, and she, she had a lover blonde and yes. just his type as she put it blonde and catholic exactly and the way that these the way that this thing pans out in the story of the film is very interesting because information is withheld in mm-hmm. Somewhat strategic ways that exactly. make everything more intensive. It's, it's kind of relating to Pascal's wager because, or at least Pascal's viewpoint on uh, human nature and uh, the decisions we make, because he we, he didn't foresee those consequences, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it, we didn't e- we didn't either, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he's playing with the audience there too. Like, you know, you don't even understand the consequences yet. Um, which is a really cool uh, element of the story that I liked. So yeah, but yeah, I wasn't expecting that at the end. I was like, oh, <laughs> it was it was a moment. Mm-hmm. So it definitely has a story. Yes, but it's scenes with conversations string together mm-hmm. to build this story. I think um, Romer's strength is definitely in his conversations. So that's yes. what definitely pushes the story forward. Um, what did you think of the cinematography? Cinematography well. was amazing. Okay. I'm, yes. I'm going to, this is my segment here because I'm going to stand really hard because this was shot by the legendary Nestor Almendros. 
And uh, this is the guy that shot uh, Days of Heaven. Uh, he shot um, The Blue Lagoon. Oh, um, I did not know Sophie's that. Sophie's Choice. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had a huge body of work that's been... And he's a... Uh, He's the the director of photography that shot all of the six moral tales for Romer. Nice. So there's a certain this this one was shot in black and white. Um, the the later ones are in color, um, but you can still see the visual style there a lot more. This takes place more in the city. The later moral tales take place more in um, rural setting. Um, actually, I'd argue that this town is it's pretty secluded too, especially with the mountains we see at the end. Um, so there's a lot of you know beautiful shots of nature in the uh, the uh, city of Claremont and yes. um, yeah I mean I think uh, even though a large part of the movie takes place in a room it's still very visually interesting. Yes, the rooms are definitely very interesting mm-hmm. in the way the characters are framed and with the use of these practical lamps here and there. Exactly, yeah. Really. I especially love the huge ones that she has like near the the dining table and stuff, like it's very practical but it's always illuminating them at you know certain points during the conversation so and it did a lot to make the story interesting mm-hmm. to make the film interesting yeah. exactly a lot of beautiful textures yeah what do you think about the way what do you think about the writing of this film i i mean i think that's kind of what drives romer's films i mean like i wouldn't watch his movies if they weren't written the way they are um so he actually comes, I believe, He, I mean, he was a critic for Calle du Cinema. And um, his background is, you know, in writing. And um, this movie uh, is carried by the dialogue uh, between all these characters to um, sort of, uh, you know, tempt us or question us. And uh, it's very strong. I mean, the way that the uh, characters are always constantly... Um, pushing and pulling each other um, even in you know the setting that they're sort of trapped in uh, in her room um, or in the some of the other scenes at the bar or in the mountains they're very intimate uh, uh, but they feel real you know there's a there's a certain realism to the way the story and the uh, characters speak so yeah one standout for me <coughs> was something that mode said to Jean-Louis, which was, I prefer people who know what they want. What they want. That was a line that I, yeah, it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good, like, uh, like, turning point, I would say, especially for Jean-Louis. Yeah, it was such a, I mean, with so few words, with Mm -hmm. so few words, he described something that I'd been thinking about before. Mm -hmm. It it described the crucial uh, difference between the two characters, too. I mean, it's brought up uh, in the mountains, uh, but when they speak about love and marriage and, um, you know, how marriage and love are two different things for them. Um, I mean, aside from their different viewpoints between an atheist and a devout Catholic, um, they're very different in essence in how they feel uh, for one another. Um, yeah, you know, it's I about practicality and stuff. So Yeah, I think what that line says is... I mean, it might not necessarily be something that's true about Jean-Louis, but from Maud's perspective, what she thinks is that a man like Jean-Louis is suppressing his true desires, while she believes that she has her true desires on the forefront of her Is she wrong, though? I don't think she? she is. You know, 
Um, a lot of these moral tales, you have to excuse me because I'm a little biased since I've seen the the rest of them. This is my first time watching Mud, um, okay. but I can see how he investigates um, man versus woman in these films, which they're all about. And um, the woman is right. Uh, in this one, I mean, she's totally correct in pointing out uh, the flaws in Jean-Louis. Jean-Louis is such a... I've been seeing Jean-Louis all this, all this while. <laughs> I think that's the female... I mean, Louis is a female French name, right? While yeah. Louis is the male French name. Okay. I think it's Jean-Louis. 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 Yeah. Should be Jean-Louis. It's played by Jean-Louis uh, Trintignant. Yeah. You should be right. It's Jean-Louis. Yes, and he... Oh, well, we'll so talk yeah. about the actors later, but yeah. <laughs> Jean-Louis is such a peculiar character mm-hmm. that, I mean, if he was any regular person that I saw in the real world, I would say that that line was true. Mm-hmm. But this character is so peculiar that I don't even know if it's true. Yeah. Because I can't read him. It's hard to read him, for I sure. I don't think he's realistic, maybe. Even though he's a very interesting character. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to determine. I don't know if I feel... I mean, all the dialogue makes him feel real. But when you think about him and his motivations and what he's doing, it feels very loose, like s- sort of separate from... Uh, the way he speaks, which is interesting because, I mean, he is kind of two-faced in what he does. So, um, and I mean, I think, uh, you know, going back to that line that you brought up, uh, Maud is the one that pushes him to sort of fulfill these um, these needs that he, he, he wants. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's hypocritical. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I guess Maud is what, a Maud is a person that gives him Sort of the drive to approach. I think Maud is Fonsa. his true desire that Fonsa's. he denies himself. Um, you know, mm. yeah, that's it. he's he runs from her the moment he's denied um, uh, sexual uh, encounter with her to the Catholic woman that he's been spying on. I mean, to me, that sounds like you're running from the truth. I don't know about you, but <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up because Maud mentioned that Vidal pushed her mm-hmm. onto Jean-Louis so that he could begin to hate Deny her. himself, yeah, exactly. And so it's interesting that you also ascribed that trait mm-hmm. or that intention. It's very cyclical. Onto Jean-Louis. It feels very cyclical, yeah. yeah. So again with the consequences, unforeseen consequences, and going back to Pascal's wager. Um, but I sort of read it in a different way. Okay. I thought I thought that Jean Louis was not attracted to Maud. I don't know. But he was attracted to. I, th- I think Fons. he initially wasn't. I think you're onto something because I don't think at first that when we start off in her room, I don't think he's attracted to her. I think the moment uh, when she starts to expose um, the flaws in his morality is when he starts to you know he comes to that realization in the bed when he s- when he sleeps next to her. There's a yeah. moment. Um, which is really interesting, um, you know, before it sort of falls out of hand and uh, uh, it kind of falls apart and he runs after the uh, the mystery <laughs> woman, Françoise. There's also the idea of principles versus, is it desire? Desire or, or happiness. I mean... Because there was this conversation. I was, I'm not sure if it was between Jean-Louis and Maud mm-hmm. or between him and Françoise, but he talked about how or someone, it was a female character, either Maud or Francoise, we talked about how Jean-Louis' principles 
become or have become more important than mm-hmm. his true feelings. Yeah, like how that he's making it out to be. Yeah. Yes. So there was this case where he was maybe in love with someone, in love with someone, and she, the woman that he was in love with, had was also in love with another man mm-hmm. who had a family. Right? Yes. I'm trying to remember that story. So, yeah, clearly. affair. I mean, he, he brings up the affairs a lot, too. So Okay, you know what? Scratch that. Okay. Scratch that whole section. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is Jean-Louis is such a weird character that his principles always take greater importance mm-hmm. than what he truly feels. And I think that's a very Catholic thing of your true desires right. getting so distorted mm-hmm. in and dogma and all these other yeah. things where you reach a point that you can never know your true feelings anymore. And it's interesting because there's a, uh, you just reminded me, uh, he goes back to the church with Francoise and then there's the, the priest that has that moment and he, he kind of puts out that distortion that you were, you were talking about in front of us and it, it's kind of going against everything that he was kind of striving for throughout the film and it's coming from the priest's mouth um so that's a really interesting um yeah so little tidbit you yeah. could be right about him actually being attracted to mode because i think because of those principles mm-hmm. and because of what jean louis has learned to expect from life he believes that he should settle with someone who is blonde mm-hmm. and a catholic and so that principle He's driving him so much <laughs> yeah, that he has buried his attraction for a woman like Mode. Yep. So it's it's a very interesting investigation into Catholicism. I'm trying to remember what Vidal did as a as a as a job. He was a philosopher. He was a teacher. he's a, he's a professor. professor of philosophy. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Um I mean Vidal has some sort of part to play in this as well. Um you know even though he he is a secondary character in the larger scheme of the story, um, I think that the way that he sort of orchestrates the entire night um, yeah. is pretty important. Um, and his motivations are unclear, uh, just as Jean Louis are at times. Um, especially near the end, we we see him with another woman. I mean, we 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 feel like we understand the situation coming from what Maude understood about it. Uh, but who's to say? Who's so to say? yeah, it's very enigmatic, just like you know, the whole theme of Pascal's consequences and whatnot. Um, so yeah, moving on. Since we're talking about these characters, how did you like the acting? Oh, the acting was very natural. I mean, it didn't stand out to me in the best way possible. Where mm-hmm. it's it's so these are just people talking. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I I felt like I was watching people have a real conversation in a room. Um, and yeah, this natural quality of this film, even though in some senses is a bit stylistical, but this natural quality is what m- is what makes me say that Eric Romer is now maybe my favorite new wave director because this film has so many things that I would want to see in a Goddard or yes. Truffaut film. Mm-hmm. It's it much less erratic. Yeah, I'll say in a sense it's more mature. More it's mature. Very mature. Especially because it takes the time that it does, uh, and uh, the actors play a large, you know, part in delivering that. And 
Romer had a sort of regular um, circulating cast for a lot of these movies. Um, I believe um, that Jean-Louis Trintignant, no, he wasn't in another one of Romer's films. Um, he's an amazing actor, um, the main character. Um, he is a star of one of my favorite films of all time, uh, Three Colors Red. Oh. Yeah, and uh, he's he's been in a, a whole lot of stuff. But seeing him bring that sort of nuance to the character, um, especially when he has these moments of silence where he's thinking, and we really feel like we're we're at odds with the issues that he's facing ourselves. Um, and then Françoise Fabian as Maud, uh, she I know did work with Romer again, and a lot of the other French New Wave uh, directors, and. Um, I mean, she she really brings the livelihood to the film, I think. I mean, yeah, it's about much. her um, for a, a large part of the uh, film. Do you have any idea if some of this, some of the dialogue in the film was improvisational? I'm not sure, but I would not be surprised. Because the characters, the they go on mm -hmm. and on, on and on. In this shots, they don't cut. And it's I wonder how did they... It's hard to say. I yeah, mean, how do they it's, keep all it that feels in their head? very... Um, it feels like it's it's a conversation that's happening in you know the current time i mean like it's it's hard to say i can't i'm not sure i was impressed yeah I, it is very well delivered uh both in uh the lines and uh the way they move around and look at each other i think there's a lot to be said about the way they use their eyes in this film because you know they're they're in this room and they're in these closed spaces a lot of time so you know the the facial reactions that we get from all these actors is yeah. super important. So, Do you recall there being any close-ups in this film? Because um, I don't. I don't believe so. There, We get almost close enough to see, I think, above the shoulders, but we're never so close. You know, you might see that in another New Wave artist's uh, film, but this one, we're always sort of watching all these characters talk. And the blocking was very simple. Mm-hmm. The characters don't really move around. They don't use any close-ups. The shots are somewhat long. Mm -hmm. And I was impressed by that. I think it's a very conservative way. It's conservative and efficient for, what, efficient. The, yeah, for what they're trying to do. Um, so, yeah. Big fan of the acting. Yeah. And do you have any editing or score-related... Other stuff. Um... Yeah, I mean, about. there's such long takes in this movie that I don't know yes. if I can speak for the editing too much. I mean, there there, there are noticeable cuts, but they're not, you know, um, they don't stand out to you. They almost blend in with the uh, conservative blocking, the uh, the realistic atmosphere that he's trying to create in these, uh, these spaces. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good. Uh, the score, was it her score? I can't remember. I can only remember the choral. At the end. The choral stuff music, from yeah. inside the church. That mm -hmm. could be... I mean, that's source the music, church, but it's and still... Then I think at the end, cool. at the beach, when th when they run into the water, I'm not sure if there's... I'm not sure either. Yeah, so... Which is, I mean, it works for the film. You don't it need does. music to you tell the story. You do not. Yeah. Um, generally, I think this film made me feel something that I haven't felt in a long while, which is it's a film that makes you sort of or at least makes me, or it made me, sort of reminiscent about 
a period mm-hmm. or a past life yes. that I never yes. experienced. Awesome. It almost it almost offers some escape from my present reality. Oh my god, I'm so glad it's I've converted someone into a Romer fan. <laughs> um yeah, all of his films are like this, so watch all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it was the world he created here was really fascinating mm-hmm. and just he kind of whisks you away into this sort of um I wouldn't say mundane. Um how do I describe it? Like slice of life. Yeah, slice of life and it's it's a very regular, very common experience he's presenting to you mm-hmm. but it still feels very grand and very mm-hmm. very fresh very fresh yes so yeah i mean uh overall i think we both enjoyed this film a lot i did i did a lot we forgot to give our star ratings at the beginning do we have to i feel like we should just we should this. just not <laughs> yeah. do ratings we just okay. this. yeah so actually, also we forgot to mention. I think we're gonna ditch the rating system thing. It's, yeah, I, I think th- it's arbitrary and irrelevant. So, this film's came out a long time ago. Yeah, who are we to say anything? I mean, we're just catching up. Yeah, we're catching <laughs> to be up. Frank. So, so um, yeah, so yeah. Overall thoughts. I mean, we both yeah. liked it. Really um, liked it. So I guess we can move on to movie news and industry happenings and and trailers yeah yeah uh anything in particular you want to bring up yes the trailer for destroyer comes with a lot of big promises oh nicole kidman yeah yeah yeah. it's a very engaging trailer and i like the mix of hard drama Mm -hmm. and a little bit of action yeah it looks like it's gonna have some action it's gonna be cool nicole kidman looks hard as heck in this yeah so um I will watch it for her because I love her. She's great. Um, and it's coming to the Savannah Film Festival. Oh, which it is. That's right. We are going to be a part of yes. next week. We're just going to keep bragging about this until it's over. So, yeah. <laughs> um, But yes, definitely going to try and check that out. Um, I wish Nicole Kidman was coming so she could elucidate oh, us I with wish. her fantastic acting. But the director is coming. Methods. Karin Kuzama. Okay. Yeah. Cool. She's new. I and believe. she's done... There's one film she made that's really popular. Oh. Yeah, so she directed Aeon Flux, which is one of those films that I've watched twice for some reason. Okay. For some reason. Gotcha. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen that one, but who hasn't seen Jennifer's Body? Yeah, Jennifer's Body. Was. <laughs> which is an interesting switch, I guess, to this new movie. It looks a little different. So. Yeah, she's a very varied filmmaker. So <sighs> Versatile, I guess. To yeah. see what she'll do. Um, so that trailer came out, and so did the trailer for Mary Poppins Returns. Um, and I guess I'm a little excited for this because, uh, well, Emily Blunt, for one, is going to be the star, and um, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it does look cool. Um, the original Mary Poppins, I've probably seen that like, yeah. 10 times in my childhood but I have no idea what happened because that was such a long time that ago that was a long time ago I have no idea what the film's about but um but yeah I mean the new one uh, as a reboot it looks interesting I'm glad that it looks like they're using animation again yeah which is wonderful because Disney does I mean that's dead 2D to them apparently right? yeah they're all on 3D stuff so it's nice to see that um but yeah it looks pretty fun uh that comes December 19th or something like that um so yeah i'll probably check that out uh there was also the trailer for a new i believe british indie film 
uh, that kind of caught my eye called Possum. Um, and that is sort of by a new director. Um, can't remember his name right now. Matthew something. And uh, it does look interesting. It's yeah. a very ambiguous trailer. Psychological. But it seems to be about someone who is revisiting a lot of traumatic events mm -hmm. from his childhood when he returns home after being disgraced as a ventriloquist. Yes, from the synopsis that uh, we both saw. Um, it looks uh, pretty dark, um, you know, which I, I dig, I guess. Uh, what caught my eye, I think, is, you know, the way it shot. And it, it looked pretty pretty striking in terms of uh, how it was presenting the story. Yeah, so it was an interesting look. Yeah, there's a weird spider thing uh so i'm sure that has some large role to play so i'll i'll probably check that out i don't know when it's coming here but you know and uh we can also talk about del toro his new pinocchio film film i guess i'm not sure that they made that clear but live it's a action pinocchio stop motion TV, might be 3D, stop motion i know this project it was in the works for a little bit and as usual del toro has like this history of being denied his passion projects yes even in the video game industry exactly so uh it's rampant for some reason but this one got approved by netflix he brought it to them so good for him um yeah. i guess i'll check it out whenever it does come out uh if it is a series or a film and yeah i would definitely check it out it seems like a story that's right for del toro oh yeah i can't yeah. wait to see his take on I mean, Pinocchio, like, how do you make that creepy and bizarre? <laughs> you know, I think I read somewhere in the articles that were talking about it. It was like an anti-fascist take on Ooh, Pinocchio, which okay. I guess, it's I mean, lies. that's a thing. <laughs> and yeah. So it's it's probably going to be interesting. Um, and the next thing, I guess, in terms of, you know, series and uh, streaming platforms we can talk about is uh, Apple's new show, I guess. Starring Steve Carroll. Yeah. I, I think guess th they just announced that Carell got uh, signed on to this. So. Yeah. We can't know what it would look like yet, but I mean, well Apple's that's a good been name to have attached to yeah. the series. So. Oh, yeah. Especially, I think this is the first one that they're going to debut on their new platform, which, I mean, Apple's been pretty secretive about. Um, you know, I think they've been a little iffy about stuff. Like, they've been tiptoeing around a lot of things. Yeah, but it's about time they did. Because yeah. the game is getting harder. Yeah, getting exactly. Serious. You have to break in at some point. So I think it's a good move. Um, yeah. I think Jennifer Aniston and um, Reese Witherspoon are a part of this too. I'm not sure if they're producing it or starring. But they're there. Um, and so the biggest news. The biggest news. Someone's making a VR film. Oh, God. Wu-Tang and Johnny Greenwood. Johnny, yes, from Radiohead. From Radiohead. And this person is Terrence Malik. I don't Song I to Song and Days of Heavens and Badlands. How do you and like to the Wonder Frame? <laughs> Wu Tang Clan and VR. Like I, whatever, whatever it is, it'll be weird and Malik transcendental. <laughs> yes, transcendental. Exactly. So who knows what's in store for us with that? Um, Excited. Yeah. Well. We'll see. <laughs> I I I'm hesitant to understand how that even works, <laughs> but I want to watch it. I guess. Me too. So with that, 
I guess we can conclude and tell you guys what we plan to watch next week. Next week, yes. We'll be watching Black Girl All right. by Usman Semben, I believe. Yes. That's how his name is pronounced. I believe so. So. Have you seen it before? No. Okay, so we're good. Yes. <laughs> I've been meaning to see it for a while, so I always see it on like the Criterion Recommended. and uh, So, yeah, that's exciting. Cool. Yeah, so one thing I think that's happening here is that every film we see has some sort of similarity or thread that connects it to the last oh. film. So, at first, we saw a Soviet film. Second, we saw a Soviet film set in Armenia. Then, we saw a French film. <laughs> and now, we're seeing... Also a French film, but directed uh-huh. by an African director. Bingo. So the French thing is the connection. The yeah. French connection. The French Boom. connection. So every two <laughs> films would have some sort of connection. Cool. All right. Well, I, I'm down for this new uh, cinematic universe that we've established here <laughs> <Yes>. on Dailies. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so please feel free to catch us next week uh, with Black Girl. Um, and uh, this has been Dailies, a film podcast. <laughs>